Hi, my name is Joyce. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is April 24th, 2005. I have a sponsor, and this is home. And um, thank you, Sarah, for allowing me to be a part of your life and your journey and uh, your, your family to me. And um, we had a great celebration for Sarah and Luke. Uh, and this is what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, our lives get filled, uh, filled up, sometimes unbearingly, like it's unbearable. You know, it's too full sometimes. You know, it's like I want a, a weekend to just chill, but there's always something to celebrate, you know. And I can get real negative and have such a bad attitude about it, honestly. But the truth is, is that we are so blessed. You know, we are so blessed that we get to participate in people's lives and a real transformation uh, occurs here. And the person, the woman that Sarah is today is absolutely not the woman that came into Alcoholics Anonymous 10 years ago. Uh, and her, her dad agrees. Um, and um, I just love you so much and the work that you've, I mean, she, you have worked for it. You know, you've absolutely worked for it, especially in the last year. So uh, I'm supposed to share with you in a general way what I was like, what happened, and how I try to live today and identify myself as an alcoholic. And what that means for me is that I have an abnormal relationship with alcohol. You know, I, I, my first drunk was the summer of fifth grade. I was 10 years old. I got junk off a Johnny Walker black label, and it changed my life. You know, I experienced this effect produced by alcohol that I am convinced that is unique to alcoholics like us. You know, I, um, it lit me up from the inside out, and it changed the playing field. You know, it changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, uh, I, at, the, at 10 years old, I, everything was already bleak. You know, I mean, I was riddled with anxiety and fear as early as I can remember. And I absolutely identify with that spiritual malady that I don't think is unique to us. You know, I think there are a lot of people out there in the world that have all sorts of emotional, mental instabilities. But when I drank that alcohol, uh, I mean, it, it, it made me feel whole and right in a way that I know uh, it, it was a solution for me. And that's my experience. You know, that's not everybody's first experience with their first drunk, but it was my experience is that I knew that this was it. This is what I had been waiting for. And I chased that feeling for the next eight years. I grew up in a household that uh, drank a lot, so I had a lot of access to alcohol. I had a, a dad that, that had a bar and a walk-in liquor closet so I could drink as much and as often as I wanted, and I did. You know, so for the first couple years of my life, of my drinking career, I mean, it was awesome. You know, we would, I would, I was a girl with, who was a hookup. You know, it was like I, I had access to booze, so I'd take handles, uh, first water bottles of liquor at a time, then handles of liquor at a time, and uh, I was life of the party. You know, we would have house parties. We, I grew up in Jersey. We'd take the train, the Jersey Transit, up to the city, drink all the way up there, and run around the city. And it was, I felt free in a way that I had never felt before. You know, and it was the more that I drank, the bigger my ego got, and I just began to love this reputation that I got, that I was this reckless, you know, crazy, you know, I, like, everybody's like, oh, crazy Joyce, you know, and I just love that. I took pride in it, you know. After some years would go by, I would soon to hate it, you know. I mean, you, you don't like to be identified as a crazy, unstable person, but initially, it's acute, you know, and, um, 
I uh, loved Monday mornings where, you know, because I, I, very soon when I was drinking, I, I had brownouts, so where I couldn't remember parts of the night, and people would tell me about funny things that I did, like dancing on tables or, you know, just being loud and belligerent, and that stuff is fun, and, like, it felt it was harmless at the time, but if you're an alcoholic like me, I mean, this illness is progressive, and what I didn't realize is that eventually I started crossing these lines where, um, you know, the first aspect of alcoholism that I was taught here that I really identified with is this phenomenon of craving, you know, and if I look back, my first drunk, I had it, you know, I didn't just drink one glass of Johnny Walker, I mean, I, I killed that bottle and kicked people out of my house so I could have a lot of it to myself, and I didn't have to share, and that would be a consistent thing with Joyce not wanting to share the booze, you know, and I would, um, I was, I had that fear early on about like going out and, and, you know, doing the math, like counting the number of people, how much liquor we had, you know, and feeling like I wasn't going to get enough. And I didn't realize that when I drank, you know, this thing woke up inside of me and and I, it needed more, you know, and there was a, I was a genuine fear that that wasn't going to be satisfied. And so you know, eventually, you know, initially I could drink as much and as often as I wanted, and it was like almost undetectable. And the only way that I really began to notice it in my story, or when I started in hindsight, is when people tried to moderate my drinking, you know, because then I started having these, I had my first intervention within two years of my drinking, and people were like, what's wrong with you? You know, you're, you're out of control, you're sloppy, and that's what I thought. I thought I was a sloppy drunk, I just got to rein it back in, you know, and um, you know, people would say, you know, some people, obviously most people at the ripe age of whatever it was, like seventh grade, are like, you shouldn't be drinking at all, you know, but even people that were drinking were like, maybe just not so much, you know, why don't you just drink a couple wine coolers like the rest of us, but I was never that girl, you know, I was that girl checking the proof of the bottle because I'm drinking for effect, you know, I'm drinking for power, and, um, and so it began, it began this cycle where I, you know, my drinking would get interrupted either by an awful situation or circumstance or intervention like that, and I would try to rein it back in, and I started to realize very subtly that I could not, you know. I would drink, and I would, I would think that, you know, I got it this time. Like, I would change the combination, you know. I would think, well, I just got to get off the, the, the dark liquors and get back on the vodka, or I have to get off the vodka. And if I just incorporate a couple more beers, or eventually if I was like, if I do a couple more lines of cocaine or eat these pills before I start drinking, then I won't black out because I started blacking out very, very frequently. And, you know, my drinking became, I mean... After a very short period of time, uh, it became real tragic, you know? I mean, those, like, fun, carefree times were so far gone after a couple years. It just felt like, I heard, I heard the best analogy, it was like Russian roulette and someone had just taken, like, all the bullets out, you know? Like, I couldn't even get, I mean... Yeah, right? That's No, put all the bullets in. They put all the bullets in. I could not get any blanks, you know? I couldn't catch any breaks. It just felt like every time I went out, there was some sort of bad circumstance, you know, where I was coming to naked, bruised, bleeding, demoralized, um, where I destroyed another friendship, you know, um, a couple of uh, situations. Because I became this unpredictable drunk where... 
I'd be drinking and then it wasn't fun Joyce anymore. You know, I was like rageful and hostile and angry or I was really depressed and suicidal and I would lock myself up in the bathroom with a bottle and people would be worried about me. And one particular time I remember drinking at a, at a, at a house party and people trying to cut me off and take my car keys and I just, and I was like, I'm not drunk, I can drive. You know how, that, how we are with that. And I remember taking the car door and slamming it on my friend Corey's head you know, three times over um, to get them to stop trying to take the car keys away from me. And that's like, you know, that's not a nice girl that just drank too much, you know. And, and, and that's like the type of behavior that became unsalvageable Monday morning where you can't just laugh it off or say, oh, I had one too many, you know. My, my behavior became unexcusable. And I began to burn bridges you know, one after another, and I'd have to change, you know, who I was hanging out with or what, what uh, image I was going to be that, that month, couple, next couple of months, you know, I was like gangster for a little while, and then I tried to go, you know, punk, and then I went like Jesus camp, you know, I was like <laughs> trying to find, and, and that's the other thing that, that began to happen is that I knew that there was something wrong with me. I was just, I was unwilling to concede that it was the liquor, you know, I knew when I sat down with what I would begin to sit down with therapists and substance abuse counselors and priests and people really trying to get in there and trying to figure out what's wrong with you, what, what's like, what are you thinking, what are you feeling? And I would really honestly, you know, I had no idea, like the book says, you know, I could not explain to you what was going on with me. I didn't have the words to articulate it until I came here to Alcoholics Anonymous. And you all had that language of the heart and gave me the, gave me the words. And, you know, I um, had a couple of major things that happened that changed, you know, that I always mention because there were turning points in, in, my, in my drinking was, you know, the first major one was during my drinking, my mother passed away of a brain aneurysm. And, you know, it was after I had make, made another sweet promise about how I was going to stop and things were going to change. And, you know, we had one of those heart to hearts where she's crying and I'm crying and I meet it. And there were so many times that I meant it, you know, that I didn't want to hurt the people around me, that I didn't want to live this way. But I couldn't. I had this mind that was constantly justifying and rationalizing. And I really believed, like, it's going to be different. I'm going to get back there. You know, I'm going to get back to when it was just fun. That's all I wanted to do, you know, was that time when I felt free and it was I and life felt easy you know and I felt like I could get back there and I couldn't and you know my mom had this brain aneurysm and died suddenly in 2001 and it it destroyed me you know I mean it was I was filled with so much guilt and shame and the other reason why I mention it is because now it was just me and my father who drank uh you know drank a lot you know so for the last four years that I was in New Jersey um, that's all we did, you know, we drank round the clock, we beat each other up, it was, you know, I, ha I felt like I had, I had great excuses now about why I behaved the way that I did, it was because my mom died, my dad's an asshole, you know, blah, 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 and I had so many people, you know, crying along with me and co-signing about, you know, why Joyce behaves the way she does, and, and all that did, you know, all, the, all those lies and, and victimhood that I lived in, all it did was, was isolate me more and more, you know, until I had no one, and, um, you know, I, I came down here to D.C. in an attempt to recreate my life, to change things 
things around. And in coming down here, I just found myself all over again. You know, um, <clears throat> I was I was drunk literally the night that I got down here, and I could not stop. And by that point, I'd picked up all other substances. You know, my drinking had excelled. Um, to the point where I'm not partying, I'm not trying to have a good time, I'm trying to black out. I'm like, that's what Bill describes as that desperation drinking, you know, where I'm just trying to take, I'm trying to reach unconsciousness because my life is so intolerable the way that it is. I can't stand it. And um, I just wish for the end, you know. And my, my introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous the first time was in 2004, and I, I, I wasn't surrendered. I wasn't ready to do things any, anyone, anyone's way, you know. And, I, and I, my, my sobriety date's April 24, 2005. When I came back, um, like the book describes, you know, under the lash of alcoholism. And my fear wasn't that I was going to die. You know, my fear when I came here in 2005 was that I wasn't going to die, that I was going to keep waking up in the same insanity, the same bleakness that I woke up every single day, you know, that panic about was I going to have enough? Is there enough? How am I going to get it? What do I need to do to get it? You know, I had crossed so many moral lines that I thought that I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror, you know, and um, I, my last drunk was my dad's wedding. He was getting remarried in New Jersey. I showed up there in an attempt to show my family that I was doing well, that that did not go well, you know. I, I got up there and I couldn't stay sober. It was another, you know, disgusting, sloppy, pathetic drunk of me overshooting the mark because I just had one. You know, that's all I wanted. I just wanted one and I experienced that phenomenon of craving. You know, and, and, I, and I couldn't stop drinking that night until I blacked out and got carried out of my father's wedding. Um, you know, and I, when I woke up on April 24, 2005, you know, I felt defeated and tired in a way that I hope I never feel again. You know, and I know today that that's grace. You know, that that is the gift of God, that that, that day was a gift. And I don't know if I'll, I'll ever get that, that gift again, and I don't want to test, I don't want to roll the dice on that, you know. But I know that on that day, I felt surrendered enough that I didn't use or drink that day. And, you know, by the 25th, I started going through detox and withdrawal. My junkie friend put me in a cab, and it took me to a clubhouse in D.C. where I stayed for four days and... You know, on the fourth day, I went back, and I had that insane, the insane idea had come again, you know, because if you're an alcoholic of my type, you know, that's what happens, is that, you know, pain and discomfort and shame will sober me up, and fear will sober me up for a little bit, you know, but eventually my mind just starts changing on it, you know, it's, it's just, I start getting these great ideas that seem so legit, like, you know, I didn't, I never drank wine like a lady, I never tried that, and that really was, I mean, that was my last plan, was that I was going to drink wine like a lady, and and then thank God, you know, God had other plans, and uh, on that day, this girl, Julie, who lived on the floor underneath me, you know, interrupted that plan, and she asked me to take her to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I did. You know, we ended up going to the Foggy Bottom group, catching the last 15 minutes of that meeting, on, and still, still meets today, the Thursday night Foggy Bottom group in D.C., and Nate and Ed were there and, uh, and, found, and found us, you know, and, and introduced us to you all, and... Um, you know, my, my journey here in Alcoholics Anonymous has not, it's not easy. It's not easy for anyone. You know, this is no cakewalk. I mean, uh, it was a relief finding you all, and it was exciting at first because it just felt like, 
you you all had a solution and seemed like you know we're happy and all of that but that in itself wasn't enough to keep me here you know my experience was I found this group I ended up moving to New Jersey and I began to feel untreated alcoholism you know I rode the fellowship for a while I rode meetings for a while and I thought that that would be enough because that's what I saw people doing you know I saw people just going to meetings and they look better and I had no idea that there's this whole program of action you know that that was needed and I, and I thank God that at that time I got a sponsor that that taught me that you know that what I have you know is a spiritual malady and I need a spiritual solution uh, to fix it that I couldn't hold my breath I couldn't pretend I couldn't act as if that a real change needed to happen from the inside out and um, and that's what my journey here in Alcoholics Anonymous has been you know my sponsor took me through that book and took me through these steps and with every step that I took I got a little bit of reprieve and it's not in just a upward trajectory like it's all good from there you know I mean it's been an absolute roller coaster and I'm so grateful that Sarah has been with me on this journey you know I mean there has been so many times um, where it's felt like I can't do this you know I mean where whether it's resentment or the just the discomfort I mean there's so many things that has have happened in my sobriety where um, it felt like impossible like how can how can we make it through this you know and I and I hope that if there are people in the room that are struggling whether you're new or not new um, there are times when sobriety is just it seems impossible that how can I not take something to give me some relief you know and a lot of that is self-imposed either by my own self-will uh, a lot of time most of the time my own self-will putting me in, in jackpots where I'm so uncomfortable I can't stand it or my own actions and behaviors or my unwillingness to grow through situations um, regarding money or men or I mean old ideas that I have that I don't want to let go and that I need to you know I absolutely need to change here and that's what my, my what I, you know I, I've been taught you know is that in taking that fourth and fifth step I learned who and what I am you know that I am selfish and self-centered to the core I'm driven by fear and defects and I want what I want and I want to feel good all the time you know and I will I will do things at other people's expense to get it you know and then six and seven that I need to change and be different or I'm gonna drink again you know I, I will drink again and uh, in eight and nine I need to go out there and make things right with all the people that I harmed I need to make amends to my family I needed to make amends to um, you know uh, the, the institutions that I stole from I needed to um, I needed to make amends to my mother's grave, you know, I needed to make those things right, and I need to live right today in 10, 11, and 12, and believe me, I suck, I mean, I'm not the best person at it, I am still so negative, I cannot believe it sometimes, you know, I mean, literally in the car, crying about, like, in the car in the parking lot with Steph, like, right before this meeting, like, about to start crying because I don't want to do this, you know, and uh, sorry if that doesn't give you hope, but, but here I am, you know, here I am, we're doing it. And that's what we would say. That's half the battle is showing up, you know, showing up and just being real. And I hope to God that I can stay this path and stay real with you all because I want to walk this path forever. And I hope that I get to walk it with you. So thanks.